Hi, I'm Paul Stringfellow and welcome to Tech Interviews. On this week's show, imagine if all the data that you put on the internet wasn't permanent and maybe you could rub it out as though it was written in pencil. Intriguing? That's this week's show. Sit back, enjoy. Hi, and welcome to another uh, episode of Tech Interviews. So this week, in another of um, a, a set of shows, um, and we've done a couple of these in the past, where we look at some of the problems that we see um, today in uh, in kind of the general enterprise, um, and look at some new ways and, and some emerging technologies that, that might find new ways of dealing with some of the, the kind of day-to-day problems we have. And as many of you know who listen to this show, this show is very much focused around data, um, and, and today's episode is no different. And we're going to look at a, a, a problem that I think we've seen quite a lot of, which is how do companies start to look at the data that they have locked within their business and locked within their business for, for all kinds of good reasons and look at ways of um, maybe getting more out of that. And, and, and this has been inspired a little bit by some conversations I've had with a kind of an old industry friend of mine um, I've known from, from previous companies um, who's, uh, who's, who's got involved in starting a, a new business looking at um, some interesting ways of, of dealing with quite a common problem. So, um, so, so to help me have this discussion today, I'm joined by uh, Val Bercovici. Hi, Val. Hi, Paul. How are you? you well? Very, very well. Happy New Year to you, by the way. Yeah, Happy New Year to you as well. So, um, yeah, so, so Val, I've, I've known for quite a while, and, and he's, uh, he's had some interesting uh, roles in the industry, a lot, lot of experience. And, uh, you know, we got, we got talking about this kind of new project that, that he's got going, in, and I find it quite fascinating. I think hopefully something that uh, I, I wanted to share with, uh, with the audience this show, because uh, I think it would be something that, that people who are involved in managing and looking after their data and trying to get the best from their data, I think it's something they find quite interesting. So, um, but before we do that, Val, why don't you uh, introduce yourself, tell people a little bit about yourself and, uh, and what it is you're up to now. Sure, Paul. So I believe you and I met, you know, probably somewhere in the middle of a very, very uh, satisfying and long career I had while at, at NetApp. Uh, I would say the last uh, half, second half of that career was as cloud CTO and pioneering a lot of NetApp's current data fabric and cloud technologies, and then helping out quite a bit with the integration of that large acquisition they made of SolidFire as a CTO for SolidFire for about the last 18 months of my time there. And about a year ago, I left and uh, started an AI startup. You know, very hot buzzword and lots of interesting problems that we could apply that technology to. Uh, and one of the things I quickly discovered was that, uh, as you know, we'll probably lead into this right away, is that you know AI has an interesting set of challenges. One of them, which is the cold start problem, which I hope to discuss with you further. Yeah, so well, why don't we? Why don't we jump straight in there? Because um, you know, uh, like you said, you, you kind of uh, went from NetApp into a, a, an AI startup, and, and that's not kind of where you are now, though, because of exactly that problem you're talking about. So, so why don't you describe that for, for our listeners about you know what we mean when we talk about kind of the cold start problem and, and what that means to AI, and how that's driven you down the route that you are now. So the cold start problem is fundamentally uh, you know an analytics type of a you know, has an analytics origin and very much applies to AI today which is that your project, whether it's an advanced analytics project or particularly an AI project, is only as good as the data you feed it, the data set you feed it, you know, training data, as it's called, in an AI context. And specifically in, in the AI market, what you realize is it's a very unique marketplace. You've got some wonderful data scientists, you know, some of the high-profile ones may be employed by Google or Facebook or Amazon or otherwise. Uh, you've got these data scientists that have a very strong culture, I would say almost religion, around openly publishing their work. So most of the innovative things they come up with, like Ian Goodfellow, who came up with the generational adversarial networks, you know, it's just a wonderful name for a, a kind of a new a type of new neural network. And other popular uh, knowledge models and Bayesian models and linear regressions, all these amazing data scientists, they just openly publish their work, which means that as an AI startup or an AI company, it's very hard 
differentiate on your intellectual property, your IP. Um, the other thing, of course, is the data itself. There are you know, now tens of thousands of really excellent sources of open public data available for training your, your, your neural networks and other knowledge models. Um, and they're available courtesy of companies like Kaggle, which Google has acquired, uh, many governments, particularly municipal governments, smart cities initiatives, they publish a lot of interesting data. But once again, as an AI business, it's very hard to differentiate if your IP is in a public domain or IP that may be better than yours is in the public domain and all the training data sets are a level playing field for everyone else. And so at my AI startup, I quickly realized that the only way to really differentiate and solve my customer's specific and unique problems were to get data from my customer. And as you can imagine, an unproven small you know, startup, whether it's an AI startup or otherwise, uh, it's a bit of a risky proposition for a customer to share sensitive data with uh, an outside entity that is young and unproven. And in my case, I started building out an increasingly elaborate data sharing, secure data sharing feature uh, for my customers to share that data with me, typically for the first time outside their firewall. And I realized, A, that's not a scalable value proposition to convince one at a time each customer to share data for the first time with an unproven entity. And B, it's a, it's a very resource intensive process. It takes a lot of engineering resources and security engineering resources and so forth to ensure that that data that they share are actually you know, remain secure. Uh, so going back to my background and passion around data, I've been in the database business and database storage business and, and you know, data streaming business for most of my long career, I realized I was more passionate about solving that cold start problem than I was about you know, basically working on yet another AI project. And that's why I founded Pencil Data. Yeah, it's a, it's a few things you've said in there that have, um, you know, kind of capture my attention and, and speak to um, probably some of my own experience as well with with the, the, the you know the businesses that, that I talk to regularly. And I think a couple of those things there are, you know, one, one is that idea that I think people like the idea of getting more out their data, but are concerned about how on earth do I take advantage of some of this AI resource or machine learning or compute resources available, and if I do that. How do I do that efficiently? So one that I can keep control of my data. And interesting, you were talking about there this kind of elaborate secure file sharing platform. Of course, the problem with that is that I'm then taking all this data and then I'm moving it somewhere else again, and then probably moving it somewhere else again so that I can take advantage of the AI engine. And then I've kind of lost control of it once it once it gets there. So you know, and I think that's one of the things that we see that uh, I think, and certainly one of those areas that businesses are struggling with, which is to say, so I've I've done some work, maybe I've cleansed my data, I've applied some more robust security and privacy policies because that's the way the world's moving but I've got no idea how to kind of unlock this potential that I've got here. Um, so, so what are you kind of seeing in, in the market or some of the work that you're looking at where you can maybe help to address some of those problems? So first of all, I think the way you tee up the question is, is fantastic. As we started to do more and more product research, my co-founders and I, we realized this wasn't just an AI problem. This is a universal business problem, at least a global business problem. Uh, and uh, we conservatively estimated based on the cursory research we started with that there's at least about a trillion dollars of trapped value of data that you know, needs to be shared, but can't be shared you know, either outside corporate firewalls, or perhaps more interestingly, according to a recent McKinsey report from late last year, even inside corporate firewalls, inside data silos, department by department. I think McKinsey reported that only about 30 to 40% of the global 2000 enterprises have fully leveraged their data lakes and their big data projects today and the remaining 60 to 70% still haven't, 
because of trust issues and, and data resulting in data silos. So this is now a horizontal problem. Uh, and as you say, the, the real crux of the issue is not the fact that, you know, you can take advantage of data today. It's the tension, the constant tension that now is so high profile between the epidemic of data breaches we see today for people that do share data and do share it with suppliers or other business partners and then lose you know, visibility and control of what happens to that data. But the tension of that on one hand, and on the other hand, you know, you've got the big four of Apple and Amazon and Facebook and Google literally decimating you know, their competitors right now because they are more savvy at identifying all their strategic data and exploiting it and leveraging it and monetizing it. So the tension between protecting the data and monetizing it has never been more severe. And you've got this rubber band now expanding, expanding in most companies. And in most companies, it just snaps. People haven't figured out by and large, you know, if you are the global 1996 left of the global 2000 that hasn't figured out how to really exploit your data optimally and monetize it, you have this challenge right now. And you have interesting transactions like Amazon acquiring Whole Foods right now, which instantly puts all of the grocers in the United States and Canada on notice is if you don't get your logistics, but more importantly, if you don't get all the data behind that impressive logistics operation and, and the market and customer knowledge, if you don't get data savvy right now, you have already lost the digital transformation war before it's begun. So uh, this is was, a really big problem that we're trying to solve. Uh, well, that was the thing that uh, really, you know, really attracted me to kind of the project you're working on now. So, you know, I've I done a little bit of research before before we spoke with uh, spoke spoke today and, and looked at what was on your site. And, and the thing that kind of really grabbed my attention, and, and I think it goes exactly to what you're saying there, which is that, you know, and, I, and I've said to companies for, that I've worked with for probably the last three, four years, that the companies who are going to succeed long term are the companies who know how to get value from their data. You know, what value looks like and how they get that value is probably undefined right now, but but they're, they're going to be the big winners long term, you know, the companies who know how to get real competitive advantage out of my data. And one of the things that it says on, on your website, and we'll, we'll drop the uh, in, into the show notes how, how people can find out more about, uh, about where, where the, the work you're doing, was that, that idea of unlocking that data and unlocking the potential within that data. So, so you know, so, so maybe I mean, that's something for us to dig into now, you know, because it, it's okay throwing around these kind of wild terms, which is unlocking, unlocking the potential of your data. So, so how about, how do you go um, around that? You know, so the project you're working on now, you know, how, how are you looking to um, overcome the, these challenges that, uh, that the businesses are seeing? So in interviewing customers that own a lot of this data and either want to but can't share data or just have general concerns around sharing that data, particularly for the first time, and let's take, you know, the, the more modest, low-hanging fruit use cases of sharing data inside, you know, corporate, across, inside a corporate firewall, across various internal departments. So helping customer support get more data out of engineering, helping marketing get more data out of sales, uh, and, and asking the, the people that own that respective data, you know, what limits them from doing that, the first thing they'll come to is, you know, they want more visibility. They want to know what happens to the data after they share it. And typically in almost any data sharing transaction today, whether it's just a, an internal link, you know, to your, the, you know, your, your set of files in a folder on an enterprise NAS system or your bucket address, you know, to an object store or, you know, the data is stored in a SQL view and here's, you know, how you actually find that SQL view or query. Typically, um, the first thing people, you know, want to know is what happens after I give people access to that information. What happens after the first person that downloads that data or has access to a copy of that data? What happens, you know, once they do something with that data? Do they now share it with another department I wasn't aware of? Do they share it with outside supplier? 
Is that supplier a domestic supplier? Is that supplier an overseas supplier? All of a sudden, there's data privacy and locality, you know, alarm bells ringing off the hook. But guess what? I don't even hear those alarm bells because I don't have the visibility into what happens in, in all of these scenarios. So the first thing we realize is that we need to implement a solution that essentially builds an immutable audit trail that follows the data around, regardless of its current identity. So you may share data under an Active Directory identity inside your corporate firewall. That data may be shared on a box system or a Dropbox system under that identity, or with another SaaS system or a Microsoft Azure, you know, a cloud system under the, the Microsoft Azure identity. Pretty soon before you know it though, the data races ahead of the identity and you've kind of lost, you know, the association of who really owns this data anymore, who's even authorized, you know, uh, who's authenticated, I should say, in terms of what they do to it, and then what are the authorizations based on that identity. So we need a very intelligent audit trail that doesn't use a traditional compute or process-centric process to follow the data around. It's a data-driven process that follows literally the data around and always uh, updates this immutable audit trail that goes ahead and reports continuously, here's who is doing what to the data, here's the tool set of the environment under which the data is being manipulated, and certainly, you know, for all sorts of interesting GDPR style use cases, here's a geolocation, by the way, of where the data is being manipulated currently. And once you have that visibility on an audit trail, you can have a dashboard and have a look at where the data is and exactly what's happening to it. You can implement programmatic or semantic declarative policies. So you can have blacklists of people that are never allowed to see this data, white lists of exceptions, Snapchat style time to live policies for how long people have access to the data and declarative policies of, you know, if you're in this particular geolocation or you're under this domain as an identity right now, well, to me, that's a competitor or that's a partner I don't know, or worst case scenario, that's a dark web alert. So there's all sorts of clever things you can do simply by having better visibility into your data. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, um, I, I was involved in a project last year with a, with a company who were looking for exactly what you're doing, which is um, that ability to track, because I think what we see at the moment, there's, there's lots of tools that are available out there that allow us to understand that somebody's accessed the data, you know, somebody's opened a file, that that file maybe includes some kind of sensitive information, and we can track all of that, and we know that maybe that file's moved to a USB stick or been dropped to a Dropbox account, perhaps. But of course, the problem goes to what, what you were saying before, that the idea that actually even when that's being done, we don't necessarily know and we might lose control um, of that data once it leaves the kind of secure file store that, that we've kept it in. And we, we talked before we started recording, didn't we, about the idea that this, this sounds like a, a more advanced advanced version of digital rights management. I think you mentioned before we started talking, actually, kind of rights management on steroids. Um, and, and so I suppose what do you mean, like, you know, what, what, what are we doing here that's different from um, more traditional rights management solutions? You know, what, what are we, because I know sometimes, uh, and one of the things actually when we, we uh, so these projects I was involved in last year where actually they needed this kind of requirement to be able to track data once it left their organization to know that that data could not be accessed once it left kind of the security of what they were doing. But that's quite complex. So, so what do you guys bring into bring to the table to maybe make that more straightforward or, or indeed, you know, make, make that a better process for, for a business? So uh, really great question. Uh, I'm going to give you a slightly long answer because I think it's a really important topic. Uh, the first thing is, you know, digital rights management is no longer a new technology. It's at least a decade plus old. And there have been a number of very, I think, interesting and powerful proprietary solutions in the marketplace in the past to help you do this. 
what was encouraging to us, you know, I call that kind of a business tailwind, is that uh, there was a recent uh, World Wide Web W3C Council uh, standard announced for HTML, HTML5, around, you know, standards-based open DRM. And it was a controversial decision because I think the Electronic Freedom Foundation actually resigned from, you know, their board seat on a W3C Council, but Netflix effectively won because now uh, it, it'll be a standard browser extension in every mobile browser, every laptop, desktop browser, tablet or otherwise, uh, something called an encrypted media extension will be a standard part of HTML. And that'll let companies like Netflix control their content with, you know, DRM they no longer have to implement. So DRM is going to become more and more ubiquitous, which is a good thing. Uh, what really is challenging in today's modern economy is DRM deals with the digital output of a process. So the final output, basically, of a business process. And there are, again, increasingly common, open source, freely available technologies that are not proprietary to control the output of a digital process. But because so much of business today is an entire digital workflow, digital pipeline, you've got to manage the, the source data, the interim processing and manipulation that we just discussed with business partners and so forth, as well as the final output. So it's that complete view, that complete life cycle of the data that Pencil Data is focused on, as well as, of course, the digital output itself. And we plan to, of course, not reinvent wheels as a startup we don't have to, so we plan to platformize and, and utilize and leverage any available DRM technology, such as Microsoft Azure's, you know, Office 365 DRM that's at our disposal. Yeah, I think, I, again, uh, you know, it's a really important point, isn't it? Because, uh, and something you said there that, that really uh, kind of struck a chord for me. And I think some of the work that we're seeing uh, happening, certainly in the UK and, and the EU now around data privacy, that actually that kind of ability to have the rights for any piece of data, live with the data, is going to be hugely important because I think one of the big challenges that organizations are seeing is that if I lose data from my organization, I've got a real big data privacy headache. I'm going to be dealing with my uh, geolocal authority, whoever, whoever those people are. I'm going to have to be explaining why I've had a data breach. I'm going to have to tell all my customers I've had a data <laughs> breach. You know, none of those things are great. You know, they're not great from a mm -hmm. uh, business PR perspective. They're not great for your customers because it might be my sensitive information or your sensitive information that, that's been lost. But the ability to have a level of control over that information that says that even if I've lost it, you know, and I know we started this conversation talking about how businesses might be able to get more value from that data in terms of how they might be able to share it more securely and, and, and take advantage of services more securely and, and keep track of the data. But actually, in the incident where I've lost that data, the ability, I guess, to be able to turn around and say, well, we know what we've lost, we've been able to track what we've lost, and now I can just blow it all away so nobody can access it. You know, that, that's, a, that's a really powerful thing, you know, and is, is that one of the kind of, um, you know, and I, and I know as, as a new project, as a new startup, this isn't necessarily, you know, you can't focus on everything all of the time, but are these some of the, some of the use cases that you guys are seeing and thinking, yeah, these are the kind of things that we will be able to help with? In fact, yes, so you bring up a really a very important point here. As we did our interviews and we realized it's extended visibility and this immutable audit trail, which yes, by the way, will be on a blockchain. We don't necessarily have to delve into that aspect uh, on this topic or on this call if we don't want to, but you know, a good public blockchain is a good way to have that immutable distributed audit trail available. And, and quite frankly, our, our early stage value proposition to our big customers is, you know, uh, in case we go out of business, you no longer lose access to this audit trail if it's on a public blockchain. It's permanent, it's immutable, it's widely available and verifiable from multiple sources. So it can outlive, you know, this, this partner of yours if you're interested in using our technology. That's an interesting aspect. But I think the killer app, the unaddressed killer app, by the way, 
for blockchains or typically for audit trails of extended visibility of data like this is the power to change your mind. It's the power to revoke data, take it back, if it does violate policy. So the joke here in the US with mall cops is, you know, uh, people can monitor lots of security solutions and enterprise can monitor the status of your security, but if they actually see a flagrant violation of a security policy or, or a ransomware attack in process or a data theft, you know, data leakage attack breach in process, monitoring solutions really can't remediate that for you. Uh, whereas, you know, where we go ahead and pencil data and implement this enhanced, advanced data visibility capability, we realize as engineers, if we know where all the data is and we are able to implement these clean rooms or, or trusted digital endpoints to where the data is, we can also implement the power to erase that data according to policy or ad hoc according to the data owner's desires. And that has become really the killer app of this implementation, the killer app of many blockchains is, uh, you know, the power to change your mind. And as uh, Mark Zuckerberg said in that social, you know, social network Facebook movie, the internet is always written in ink. Well, we realize in our case, the internet can also be written in pencil, hence the name of the company. And, uh, and, and that is a really powerful feature, if nothing else psychologically for a lot of data owners. You know, we believe this is the, the event that will trigger the sharing of private data for the first time, if not between departments, uh, then also outside firewalls is that realization that I can be compliant with privacy regulations. I can be compliant with legal contracts and encumbrances. I can make sure I don't violate my organization's IP policies because I can implement smart contracts and policies on this data as I share it. It can automatically try and prevent it from being, you know, ending up in bad locations and I can get alerts when it does. Uh, but I now have that, you know, automated or retroactive power to just go ahead and delete that data. And the implementation of that is actually at a high level simple to explain. It's not like we have to go ahead and actually delete data once we find it's in the wrong place. It's always shared within some kind of logical encrypted container. And uh, the, you know, the uh, identity of who's accessing that data is always authenticated. And the authorization has to continuously be renewed. So the interval can be every 60 seconds or every 60 days or anything in between. Uh, you know, once you continuously pull for renewed access, uh, to have, you know, to um, get authorization to access that data. If the owner has revoked that authorization, then your rotating cryptographic key disappears and you effectively end up, uh, you know, with a bag of bits that you can choose to retain and try and, and decrypt, you know, the, that strong encryption, or you can just really practically clean up after yourself and, and remove the, the space that's wasted with that capacity of encrypted data you no longer have access to. So uh, there's lots of interesting ways to implement this feature, but it's that combination of the extended visibility and the control, which is power to take it back, that is now exciting a lot of customers to go ahead and consider data sharing scenarios, or quite frankly, consider complying with data privacy regulations in a much more deterministic, predictable manner when they know that they have visibility and, and quick revocability of, of data sets they now control. And, and we, you know, again, we were, uh, and I suppose one of the things that, that, that interests me with this is I think it, it, it's an important step. And it's, not, it's, not, it's not a step, it's not the only step in, it, in its own right, but this kind of control of where you place your data certainly does seem to open up the possibilities of making it much more straightforward for a business to move data to an, an AWS, for example, or an Azure, if you want to take advantage of their capabilities around data analytics or machine learning so that you can really start to, to get some value from 
on that data. And again, is, is that the kind of thing you see that this is an opportunity for companies to start to almost hit that holy grail of how do I, you know, we've all talked about data is the new gold and data is the new this and that, but actually how do I make it that, you know, is, is again, is that what you're seeing? This is a, this kind of control is a huge part of that journey that says, yeah, actually, do you know what, as a business, I want to be able to make money out of my data. I want to be able to get value out of it, give us some competitive edge. But right now, I don't trust that where I'm moving it uh, is going to be secure enough or allow me to retain enough control. And I'm worried about those risks. You know, we, are you seeing this as a way that we can bridge that and allow companies to start to, to really take advantage of the data they hold? Uh, yes, short answer, yes. You know, long answer is if you take a look at the, the just as an example, the wonderful announcements, uh, I forget, you know, what they called it, but that really powerful user-friendly AI pipeline machine and deep learning pipeline that Werner Vogels announced at the recent AWS reInvent conference in Vegas. Uh, he even opens up his entire two and a half hour keynote by saying at the end of the day, AWS has democratized access to a whole bunch of really cool technology and services and APIs. And so the only thing left to differentiate on is data. Uh, but he introduces that really sexy, I think it's Sage something or other as a brand name, uh, machine learning pipeline. And at the beginning of it, as you say, is data. It's making sure that you contribute the right data sets, you know, to uh, to the various AWS data structures, and then you go ahead and manage them through the pipeline. What we go ahead is, and we'll we'll have presence obviously on AWS Marketplace, is give you visibility into each and every touch point for that data, so that you know you can think of it as having a clean room, you know, for all the data that you choose to share, and the users basically are using it logically in a clean room, and you have visibility into what's happening in that clean room throughout every stage of the pipeline as it matures. And so it's, it's, it's always basically, you know, uh, in a well understood state in terms of who's doing what to it, whether it violates or, or, or complies with policy and so forth. Uh, but I think, you know, at a higher level, the fundamental question of our time right now, if you're a digital savvy, data savvy business executive, or certainly if you're an IT or a developer, is this, this tension between data breaches and the need to digitally transform and actually survive and thrive as a company. And that tension is getting, you know, more and more stressed right now. If you think of it as a, as a rubber band, it's breaking at most companies because most companies will conservatively, of course, choose to just lock down that critical data more and more to not be another Equifax, to not appear in the headlines. Ironically, even the SEC was breached shortly thereafter, right? To not appear in the headlines and then have that embarrassing situation. And quite frankly, you know, whether you're CEO of Target, CEO of Equifax, CEO of any company in the world, lose your job in an embarrassing way, perhaps even lose that golden parachute you have as the corporate boards get more and more savvy with the contracts they negotiate with their executives. So that tension around protecting the data is really, really high. But at the same time, you've got Amazon encroaching into retail territory and buying grocers such as Whole Foods. And you can't stand still anymore and hope that just protecting your data is enough to stay in business. You've got to exploit that data. You've got to share it with talent, both inside and outside your company, and not get breached at the same time. And so it's that tension, which I think 2017, if nothing else, highlighted as probably the defining you know, question of our time uh, in, in a digital world. It's that tension that you know, is exactly what we at Pencil Data seek to resolve. Well, I think we could, um, you know, I, I genuinely I could probably talk about this topic for hours because I, I share your your passion around how we, you know, how not only we look after our data, we ensure its privacy and security and those things, but again, this kind of next phase of business development about how we get the most from our data, you know, how how we look to how we look to exploit it, how we look to get value and competitive edge from it. I think that's a really interesting challenge, as you, as you just said. You know, I think for businesses, you can't, 
you can't stand still and look at your data and think, I'm never going to be able to do anything useful with that. I think you've got to be looking at how do I do things useful with that. So, um, but look, to, I mean, to wrap up, Val, um, thank you for your time. Much appreciated here. So, so if people are interested in what we're talking about, want to find out a little bit more about what Pencil Data are doing, or perhaps want to stalk you online because uh, they've got nothing better to do, um, how do they find out? How do they find out more about Pencil Data? How do, how do they track you down if they need to? So uh, the website's hopefully fairly intuitive to find. It is penciledata.com. Uh, yeah, the my it was pretty easy, <laughs> that to be fair, yeah. It is. On the other hand, the Twitter handle has a story behind it, which will be in a blog, and we can talk about it later on, around digital sovereignty and rights to your own data and control. But it's not pencil data. It's not add pencil data. That account was suspended unceremoniously. Uh, it's pencil underscore data. So add pencil underscore data on Twitter and pencil data on Facebook. We're, we don't quite have an Instagram or a Snapchat page, which kind of shows you know, the demographic of the co-founders. But uh, we, we hope to have even a fuller digital, you know, uh, social media presence very, very soon. And I am Val B at PencilData.com if you want to email me. Okay. And if people want to follow you on the Twitter as well, can they do that? Of course. Uh, I have a, a long-lived Twitter handle that is pronounced Val Boo, but it's actually at Val B double zero. Val, really appreciate your time. I think that's been, uh, been fascinating stuff. And, um, and as Pencil Data continues to develop and, and the way you're doing, hopefully get you back on and, uh, and we can talk some more in the future. But uh, for, as, as for now, Val, thanks for joining Tech Interviews and uh, speak to you soon. My pleasure, Paul. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. If you enjoyed the show, why not leave us a review? And of course, you can always subscribe. You'll find us on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as all other good homes of podcasts. So, until next time, thanks for listening.